Well, greetings, New Hope Church. It is great to be with you. On uh, it is it is cold outside. Is that? I mean, my goodness, we got spoiled in January, did we not? You know, with the temperatures hovering right around in the the lower 30s, pretty much the whole month, and uh, now. What a wake-up call. But here you are. If Those of you who are on our main campus here today, well, you are the hearty ones. Welcome. It's great to be with you. I'm so delighted to be with you. But those of you who are, I don't know, maybe you're smarter. You're at home watching, right? Curled up in front of a fireplace. Welcome to New Hope Church. What a delight to connect with you if you're part of our online community. And, you know, we've got folk that are far and wide uh, in several different countries that tune in and across the states here. And, uh, of course, right here across our region. So welcome to New Hope Church here in the Minneapolis area. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here. And, you know, I want to put an exclamation point on what we said in the video about the upcoming uh, series starting next week, questions that God asks. I'm telling you straight up, I've got so many questions for God. I mean, there's going to be a day when I land on heaven's shore, and I'm going to drive him crazy with, why did you do this? Or how come that? Or tell me about those things. And, uh, and thankfully, he is so patient. But he asks us a whole bunch of questions as well. And we're going to dig into those. And I can't wait to be a part of that with you starting next weekend. Today, however, we're finishing up our series called A Big Conversation. And uh, this series has found us considering what it is for you and for me to live gregariously and generously in light of what Jesus has done for us. What is it for us to live generously and gregariously, to be bold givers and to uh, be exuberant rejoicers? What is it for us to be these kind of people in light of what Jesus has done for us? And part of this conversation is we've gotten uh, no end of, of uh, testimonies, God stories, these creedal statements. Now, you've heard that phrase here these recent weeks. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 26. It's the description of what Moses puts there. Uh, and I would encourage you, if you're wondering, what is a creedal statement? What are you talking about? This Deuteronomy 26. Go back and listen to uh, the previous uh, three or four messages here in our series, and you'll, you'll find out quickly. And in fact, as you go back and listen, write your own testimony, your own creedal statement about what God has done in your life, and uh, pass it on to me. I love getting these this month. It's been so much fun to hear stories of uh, how God rescued me, the ways that I sense God working in my life, and here's how I want to respond to him. And among the things that are the responses uh, to this uh, rescue that God has brought about and the way he rewards us with his eternal care uh, are, are that we be a people giving generously, that we be a people who are exuberant with joy. I mentioned those a moment ago. But you know what? There's a third response for us that we want to talk about today. And in many ways, it sews it all together. As a matter of fact, in the very first message here just a few weeks ago, I said we're going to come back and talk about this particular detail. And it is to convey to, convey to a watching world what God has done. In short, to tell his story to tell the story of what he has done. And we have to tell this story. It is an incredible story to tell. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, we find Moses giving this great sermon. In fact, it is the longest sermon in the Bible. 
And you'll recall this. We've talked about this here these recent weeks. The longest sermon in the Bible is the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And it is Moses. He's right there on the banks of the Jordan River. Uh, the people of God have gathered right there. They are uh, looking to the land of milk and honey that they're getting ready to enter into. Moses knows his days are numbered. He's preparing to pass the baton of leadership off to uh, another man. And, and then Moses, Moses is going to go and be in the presence of the Lord. I mean, he's, his days are numbered. He's going to die soon. He's an old man. And, and he's got one final word to give to God's people. And that's the whole book of Deuteronomy. And in spending time in Deuteronomy 26, as we've had, uh, as we have, we have seen Moses talk about, here's how God has rescued us. Here is the reward that he has given to us. And here's the response that we can bring to him. And particularly, we saw this issue of, of giving generously of our resources, our finances, and so forth. We saw this issue of coming before him with great joy and, and letting that contagious joy permeate the community around us and beyond. Well, Moses isn't the only one that uh, celebrates these kinds of things, this rescue, the reward, and, and talks about a response. We see others in the Bible do this as well. We see other great personalities like King David. King David. This is hundreds of years after Moses. But here, we now zero in on a man named David. He's the king of Israel. No longer are the people gathered around the Jordan River. They are now settled in the land of Israel. No longer are they a people that are eager to get in, but they are a people that are well established. And here you have David now at the capital city, Jerusalem. And you know what he's done? He has invited God's people to a great big party. He has called them to join him there in Jerusalem for a mighty festival. And the festival in this particular moment is the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant from its warehouse, if you will, in the country up to the city of Jerusalem where all the people can gather and celebrate the presence of God in their midst. Now, some of us understandably are like, what in the world is the Ark of the Covenant? What are you talking about? And here's what I would encourage you to do. In your own time, go to the Old Testament books of 2 Samuel chapter 6 and just read through that. And 1 Chronicles chapters uh, 15 and 16 and read through that. And you'll get, a, you'll get the gist of what I'm talking about. This great celebration. It's an exciting time for the people of Israel under their great King David. But in particular, what I want to do is draw our attention to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Because in 1 Chronicles chapter 16... We see, we see David and the historian uh, who's talking about this play out this, this rescue, reward, and response. Rescue, reward, and response. And so I want you to look with me, if you will. We'll just go to the text, First Chronicles chapter 16. And, and I want you to note with me verse 12, all right? And here, you'll see it on your screen, by the way. Here what we see is, is this issue of rescue. And so we see, remember the wondrous works that God has done, his miracles and the judgments that he has uttered. And this is, this is uh, King David, and he's singing praises to God in front of all the people of Israel. And he's inviting people, remember what God has done, how God has rescued us from our bondage. God has rescued us from our traumas. God has rescued us from our pain. God has rescued us from our sinfulness. And he has 
done a great and wondrous work with miracles and judgment, righteousness and justice. All right, so this is the rescue. And listen, we've been talking about this for weeks now. One of the things that is the, the impetus behind that God stories is you and me reflecting on ways God has rescued you. How has God rescued you? How has he reached out and said to you, child, I love you. Child, I've got you. My power is for you. My son bled and died on a cross and rose from the grave so you can have life, so you can be free. I love you this much. I mean, God has rescued us, and we have a story to tell about this. And that's what David is highlighting here. Look, let us be a people uh, who remember the wondrous works that he has done, his great rescue. But then also, if you look there in verse 18, we see this reward. And again, you'll see it on your screen there. It says here, to you, David cries out in praise, uh, quoting God, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. This is what uh, the reward is for the people of Israel. God says, I'm going to rescue you out of your slavery in Egypt. And the reward is I'm going to give you a land of, of safety and peace where you can flourish as my people. And I will be present right there with you. And for us today, the greater reward is Jesus Christ and the fact that in him and him alone, we have eternal life and hope and peace, right? And this is what we, what we celebrate. This is of which we sing. This is why we gather. And then there's the response. And we see the response of God's people. David cries out about it in this, uh, in, the, in this long song of thanksgiving that he gives. We see it particularly in verse 23 and 24. And here's where I want to spend much of our time this morning. Look with me, verse 23, verse 24. Again, you'll see it in front of you there. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. David is saying to the people of Israel, God has rescued us through his miracles, his power, and he has rewarded us by bringing us into this place where we can flourish in his presence. And our response is that we will sing to him and we will tell of his great wonders and declare his glory. All right? Now, this right here, this right here is going to capture our energy for the next few minutes. It's really, really important. In these recent weeks, as we've looked at Moses' sermon in Deuteronomy 26, we've wrestled with, here's how God has rescued us. Here is the reward given unto us. And we've seen from Deuteronomy 26 these responses of generosity and joy. The pattern is the same. Here's how God has rescued us, his power and his miracles. Here's his reward. He has put us in a position where his presence is with us. And what is our response? Well, in 1 Chronicles 16, the response isn't so much about generosity and joy, although you see those things evidenced in the broader passage. The response here is, we're going to tell his story. We're going to declare it to everybody far and wide. Now, Please, please, friends, understand. This is the watchword of every disciple of Jesus Christ. We're going to tell his story. We're going to convey what it is that God has done. We're going to engage the realms in which we find ourselves and present 
his story in our lives. And that's the opportunity presented here of which David sings and of which the people uh, rally around him and join him in praise. Now, here's what, here's what we're going to do. As we look at these two verses, uh, 1 Chronicles 16, 23 and 24, there, there's three movements in these verses. And each movement is controlled by a particular command. Now, sometimes people say, Pastor, why do you spend so much time focusing on, on some of the, the grammar and the language and the verbal things? And, and I'm telling you this because it serves as an excellent outline for what God is wanting to say to us in that particular passage. Here, there are three commands that, that control the movements of this, of this passage of these two verses. Here's the first command, all right? And you'll see it right there. It's just straight from the text, verse 23. The first command is sing... To the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. And you know what this is right here? This is vision, friends. This is aspiration. This right here is a vision that, hear me now, all the world cries out in worship of the great God. This is a vision that all the world, every breath praises his name. All of the created order, the rocks and the trees, the skies and the seas, and every being that has breath in lungs cries out to him and declares his glory, that declares that he's worthy, worships him. Worship literally means to, to recognize the worth ship of something or someone, in this case, the mighty God of heaven and earth, to recognize that he is worthy. He's worthy of our praise. We must give him worship or worship, right? And so here is the vision that the entire world is going to sing to him because he's a rescuing God. He's a rewarding God. He's a God who puts his presence among us because he loves us. And the whole world is going to respond in praise. And that's the testimony of the scriptures from start to finish. Every knee will bow, right? Every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord of glory. Now, we may not all uh, be willing participants in that, but mark my words, at the end of the days, every knee will bow and praise his name. Every knee will declare him. As, or every tongue will declare him as king of glory. And that's the aspiration. And David is echoing this here. He's celebrating this here. He's saying to the people that are gathered underneath the rule of this great King David, they're all gathered there in Jerusalem. They're, they're gathered on the streets and in the courtyards and the corners, and they're having this big festival. And David's crying out, and he's saying, singing unto him, the whole world, this is what we will be about. All right, so that's, that's one command. And understand, understand, what we've seen in these recent weeks helps to set this up. Last weekend, Pastor Paul invited us to be a people who, he did so from Deuteronomy 26, invited us to be a people who have exuberant joy and that we would be humble conduits through which this joy blesses those who are around us. And as we come along uh, we sing unto him. We give praise unto him. We cry out to him, right? And as we do that, not only does it glorify him and honor him, but it, it motivates others to join in and offer the same. Not only do we see this uh, point about joy last weekend that shapes 
the, the uh, singing uh, and, and the opportunity for the world to sing and cry out and worship. But two weeks ago, we saw this issue of giving generously of our resources and how we bring to bear our financial resources unto him. And this is a premier act of worship itself. And not only does it give glory to God, but it also is leveraged so that, hear me now, through ministries and missions and so forth, we can, as a church, raise up still more worshipers for God. And at the end of the day, that's the great goal. Worship will last for eternity. Evangelism is simply the means to help raise up more worshipers for eternity. Do you hear this? And so our, our singing uh, is, is often shaped by, not totally, but often shaped by our giving and our joy. And that's why these things are so important. And that's why we're having this big conversation. All right, so this is, this is a one command, sing. And it's a vision, it's an aspiration uh, for all the world to give worship to the great God. But there are two more commands in these two verses. Here's the next one. And we see it, and it's just straightforward right here from the text. Uh, the middle part of verse 23 of First Chronicles 16. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Tell, tell of his salvation. Now, again, in the very first message some weeks back of this series, I, I invited you, I said, you need to ask Jesus. Ask Jesus for the help to be a witness to what he has done. Ask Jesus for help to be a testimony regarding what he has done in your life. And, and remember, at that point, we were talking about Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 5, where Moses says to the people of Israel there by the Jordan River, he says, make a response. Make a response to God. Make a response to all who are watching. And literally, what it meant was, literally it meant be a witness or give a testimony. And so the, the, the exhortation at the time then was, ask Jesus to help you give a witness, give a testimony to what he has done. In other words, tell of his salvation. Ask God to help you do this. And let me tell you, listen to me here, right? Jesus has done great things worth telling. Do you believe that? Jesus has done incredible things worth telling. Let us be ever mindful of this reality. We were, as Moses speaks in Deuteronomy 26, we were, and we talked about this, we we have been spiritual wanderers, right? Wandering, lost, dead in sin. But God, but God, all right? So John three sixteen. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, betrayed by a friend, arrested by the authorities, tried in a kangaroo court of religious elitists. He was tortured. He was crucified, killed, hung on a Roman cross where he bled for you and me, paying the full penalty of our own sin, of your sin and mine. And there he died. 
And three days later, he rose from the dead, alive, 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 stepped into the bright morning sunshine of Jerusalem, alive. Death couldn't hold him back. Days later, he ascended into the heavens, and right now he is interceding for you and me, for our church family, for all who are in Christ. He is interceding at the right hand of his Father, pleading with his Father, Father, these are my people, washed in my blood. Bless them, I pray. Isn't that incredible news? And you know, I, I, I restate these things all the time because I am so desperate that we get this so locked in to our being that it just flows out of us naturally. And you know what? Not only is he there interceding for us, but as we say regularly, we remind ourselves, he is coming back in triumphant glory to take us home and to make all things new. Can we just give it up to this Jesus? He's awesome. He's awesome. Praise God. Praise God. And you know, in these recent weeks, as we have continued to remind ourselves of this online or right here in this space, people have said, you know, I don't know this Jesus. And they've called out on him in faith and become born again. And maybe, maybe just today, one or two of you will decide today's the day. You know, I need a relationship with this Jesus. Because hear me, hear me. His, his Death, his resurrection, his ascension, his session with his father, his glorious return, all of that means sin and death and the devil, none of it has the final word in your life. Because of this, Jesus, you have eternal hope. And I ask you now, I urge you now in prayer to just acknowledge, Lord, I am a sinner and I need Jesus as my savior. I understand, I believe that he is your provision for my salvation. And so right now in faith, I'm calling unto him and I'm asking him to take my life and let it be holy and consecrated unto him, unto you, oh God. Oh, may that be, may that be your reality here today. Don't let anything keep you from calling on him. If you don't know him, let today be the day that you begin to walk with this Jesus. But let me tell you, when it says, tell of his salvation, all right, there's something about that word tell that I want to mention, that command. The root word in the ancient language has the idea, now get this, this is fun for me. It has the idea of a face that is scrubbed clean, clean shaven, shiny, all right? And, and, and the picture, the word picture, if you can track with me here, the word picture is of a, a young man or a woman, I mean, I, I suppose a woman could shave too, the young man or the woman. And, and, and she, she or he is boisterous and beaming with glad tidings. And so, you know, when you imagine somebody bringing good news, you don't necessarily picture a, a weary, worn-out person crawling into your presence. Well, I've, I've got good news for you. Really? Seriously? Okay, so, no, you picture somebody showing up. They're like, hey, guess what? I've got something to tell you. And they're just beaming. They're glowing, presenting to you glad tidings, good news, gospel. That's the word picture here behind the word tell that we see in verse 23. It is of somebody whose face is gleaming with glad tidings. Now, that's the kind of people you and I ought to be. And this is part of the big conversation we need to have because in our world today, too many of us who call on Jesus and claim to have a relationship with him, too many of us, and you know this, let's just be brutally honest. Let's have the conversation. Too many of us look angry 
and tired and come off self-righteous, right? And the world is looking at us going, you, you've got good news for us because, frankly, you spend all your time seeming to be just kind of put out because the culture isn't working like you think it should or people's sins are so besetting. And, and yes, that's worth grieving over, trust me. Trust me, my friends, sin is worth grieving over, but the blood of Jesus washes away such sin, and that's worth celebrating, right? And so let us be those people. Let us show up on the scene with not the haggard looks of self-righteous, angry people, but with the joyful glow of those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus. Let us have that as that which defines us. And that's, that's what's behind the word there, tell of his salvation. Yeah, tell of his salvation day by day. Let it just be so evident that when people see you, they say, there is something very different about that woman. There is something very different about that man. Something different about that child, about that, that older person. Oh, may they see that God has transformed your world. All right, may that be what they see. Let that be the glad tidings. Now, there's a third command. There's a third command here, and it's in verse 24. Declare God's glory, all right? Look here, you see, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. Notice the, the focus is so broad, the nations, all people. I love this. It's, it's, it's the, the Hebrew, the Jewish, and then later the Greek idea of all the ethnos. The whole world, right? This is why we are a Christ-centered community for all peoples because it so reflects the heart of the living God. Now, to declare in the ancient tongue means, hear this, it's really great. It means to carve into something, to carve into wood or to carve into stone. Uh, you might think of it this way. The picture might be of an iron stylus and a hammer, and you're, you're chipping away into a stone tablet, a rock tablet, uh, some kind of signage or word that, that should get everybody's attention, all right? That's what is, is behind the word declare. It means to carve, to cut, to etch. And our call, then, is to etch God's glory, literally, in the ancient tongue, his weight. That's what glory means, his heaviness, his weight, the, the full weight of his wonders and his works. We are to etch this under the soles of everyone around us. My, my uh, beloved firstborn, Emily, she and her husband, Hunter, live up in Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, when we lived up in that area many years ago, we lived out in the country we had lots of trees in our yard. And there was this one great big tree, and I'll never forget the day I discovered this. I was out working in the yard, and I looked up and saw this. I'm like, what in the world? And my dear Emily had climbed up in that tree, and with a knife, she had etched her initials and Hunter's initials. E-S hearts, H-N. And that was, they were probably in eighth grade. Now they've been married almost seven years. But here, you know, all these years later, I mean, they've been together a long time. And I love, she carved the uh, sign of love 
into the soft flesh of that tree. And that is what you and I are called to do with the love of Jesus. JC loves you and carve it into the hearts and minds of everybody around us. We need to live life like that. That his weight of wonders and work is being carved into the soft flesh of everyone who comes across our pathway. Right? That's the kind of people we need to be. So then, how? How might we tell his story, declare his glory, so all the earth is worshiping him in song? What, it might, what might it look like for you? What might it look like practically for you, for me? Now listen, if you are in, in a third grade or seventh grade, or you are 30, or you are 70, this applies for all of us right here, every single one of us. Now, I have so much to learn. I am personally trying to figure out how it is I can be a man who is telling this story, declaring his glory, raising up worshipers, giving generously of my resources, and living a life of joy. I want to be that kind of guy, all right? I want to be the beaming face kind of person, not, not, in, a, not in an inauthentic way. I mean, life's also hard, right? Sometimes, you, sometimes we do feel beaten down. I get that, but by God's grace and through the power of the Spirit, boy, we can, we can with his joy and with his power, as it were, wash our eyes and rub our face and stand up a little straighter because we got a God who walks with us and goes before us and is our rear guard and underneath us are the everlasting arms. So the question is, how then, pastor, how do we tell the story? How do we declare his glory? How do we etch it onto the soft tissue of the souls around us? Well, here's what I'm learning, and maybe this will be helpful for you wherever you are, okay? Here's what I'm learning, straight up. Three simple things, all right? Number one, all right, be ready. Number one, be ready. And I'm, I want to invite you, friends. I plead with you. I plead with you. Get up in the morning. When you wake up and before you even rise up from that mattress, you put your feet on the floor and you bow your head and say, God of heaven, it is early. It is cold. It is dark. I'm in Minnesota. I have no idea why. Why could you not have me in Orlando or something like that? No, 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 that's not, I'm, I'm getting off track here. No, no, you wake up and you bow your head and you say, God of heaven, here am I. And uh, meet me where I'm at. And boy, I'm tired. I got a long day. I got a lot of my heart and mind with my family, with my work, whatever it might be. But hear me now, here, this is the thing. But God, help me be ready. Help me be ready to see the people around me. Help me be ready to give witness to Jesus' work in my life. Orchestrate some great moment, even a simple moment, where I can just be a witness and make a response and give a testimony, where, where my face will shine, as it were. Help me be ready, oh God, for that. May it be possible. Now, now here, here's, I want, to, I want to share something with you in a moment. And my friends back here, are gonna, they're going to put something up on the screen. But before they do that, it's a chart. Before they do that, I want to explain it to you. 
All right, you're going to see it's a chart. Now, understand, it's, it's not the weekly, um, it, it's not the forecast for the next few days. It goes from 1 to 10. That's not the forecast. It's just a spectrum, okay? So, so 1 is, imagine this with me. I'm telling you this before you see the chart because I just want you to get a sense of it. 1 is, uh, I am so cold with regard to the gospel, I have nothing to give, and I don't really feel like it, and I don't really care today. All right, that's honest, okay? That's honest. Ten is, I am so on fire telling people about Jesus that everything around me is melting, all right? Okay, well, that's great. You're probably unusual, but that's great. And then there's what's in between, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And you know what? Here's the deal, and again, I want to explain this to you. Here's the deal. There might be a day when... When maybe at the end of the day, I've had, an, I've had some kind of spiritual interaction with somebody. And I'm feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a four today. I'm, I'm feeling encouraged. And so then here's my prayer. Lord, would you help me be a five tomorrow? All right, did you hear that? All right, I'm not overreaching. Lord, today, if I, if I think I'm a four, would you help me be a five tomorrow? Would you orchestrate things and give me that much more courage and, and conviction? Help me be a five, right? And you know what? Uh, last weekend, uh, several days back, I got COVID. All right, it's Friday morning a week ago. I'm doing great. I'm having a wonderful morning. I'm out and about running errands, doing this and that and the other. And by mid-afternoon, I am literally flat on my back in bed going, what happened? And for two or three days, a fever, and then, you know, all this stuff that we're all getting used to now. Well, you know what? That means I'm probably just sitting in my bed feeling sorry for myself. And so that number's going down. Three, two, one. So then it's like, Lord, tomorrow would you help me be a two? And just give yourself permission to say, Lord, help me just move up a degree. Help me have the kind of vision, the kind of imagination, the kind of availability, the kind of readiness and would you orchestrate something? Now, so here's, here's the chart. I want you to see it up on the screen here, all right? A little hard to see maybe for you, but by the way, if you, you can get this if you uh, go to our website or to our app or click on the QR code out here. You can, you can download the homework uh, questions for this sermon, and this chart is embedded in those homework questions, okay? And so you can see there, number one, apathy, unaware, disobedient, maybe hostile, I don't care. Number two, I'm growing in awareness. I kind of want to build relationships and have passion for telling the story. Uh, Somewhere there in the middle, you know, I'm beginning to find some kind of rhythm. I'm trying to improve. I'm being intentional with conversations. Uh, On the upper end there, growing impact, influence. God's, I think God's using me. I actually made a difference in somebody's life today. God God gave me opportunity. And and really the goal is just say, Lord, can, can we just help me move from one to the next? All right. Now, I share this with you. Now, just stare at it for a minute. I share this with you because I want you to have an imagination for being ready for starting each day with this mindset. Let us not be passive. Let us not be a pe- I, I fear that too many evangelical Christians have gotten so passive about the gospel, even though we're so zealous about culture wars. And it, it is appalling to me. It is so sad 
Because I tell you, the gospel will always transcend whatever the conversation and culture is. And it'll shape it for eternity. And it'll change people's destiny. But us arguing and fighting about things that that might be important, but they're not nearly as important as the shed blood of Christ. Right? Not nearly as important as the lost soul. And so let us be a people that refuse to be passive about the most important things and wake up each day saying, God of heaven, help me be ready for what you bring my way. Orchestrate an opportunity so I can tell your story. Move me from a two to a three. Move me from a three to a four. By your grace, let me reach for a nine. All right? And be so hot as to melt what's around me. All right, well, so that's one. Be ready. Number two, care genuinely. Care genuinely. Jesus was a master of this. I want you to see up here, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. I've talked about this verse a lot now for nearly eight years here. When Jesus saw the crowds, notice this. Now notice right away. I mean, you, you can't get first two or three words in, what? When Jesus saw, he's paying attention. The crowds, what? He had compassion for them. Notice, though, they were harassed and helpless. They didn't have much to offer him. They were beaten down. Life was hard for them. Those words are actually, harassed and helpless are really pregnant terms that if we had time we could really unpack the fullness of those but just get the idea these are people that are needy beaten down and notice though Jesus he sees that he has compassion literally that word for compassion means he is moved in his gut actually literally it's he's moved in his spleen right that's that's what the language means Uh, You get this deep sense inside of him that he is unsettled by what he sees. He cares. It's genuine. It grips him, right? And he goes on, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Look at this next verse from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 15. I love this. We do not have, this is a reference to Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Now, let's just stop there. I mean, you can go on, uh, no doubt, uh, but, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Praise God. That's why, by the way, I so regularly say, as I did a bit ago, he lived a sinless life. It's because of that line right there, yet without sin. But notice, we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with us. He has capacity to care genuinely. And we need to take our cues from him. What might it look like for us to care genuinely? Here's, a, here's an anecdote. I've probably shared it before. A while back, I, I'm out and about. I'm at a restaurant. I'm by myself. I'm doing a little bit of work. And uh, the server comes up to me, brings my, brings my food. Drops it there at the table, smiles. I said, hey, by the way, before you scurry off, I, I like to pray. And I just wonder, is there anything I can pray for you about? And she did this. She looked around to make sure nobody else was listening. It was a busy place. 
she leaned in across the table and she said, pray for my sobriety. Okay, I, I can do that. I will do that. Yeah, I see a friend back there. Thank you. I can do that. And then she scurried off, and sure enough, I did. I, okay, Lord, thank you for the food, and bless this woman. And clearly, this matters to her. She must be on a journey. You know, that was it. Sincere, but I, I didn't think much else of it. I mean, I went on and was eating my meal, doing my work. Okay. Carry. Okay, here's the thing about, about caring genuinely. You have to observe, like Jesus, you have to see. Be willing to ask questions. Be willing to listen to what is said. And then, here's one. Apply empathy. Apply empathy. And you know, in our culture today, for some strange reason, that word is being tossed around as something only liberal people do, only woke people. It's like, what? That is absolutely intellectually dishonest. It's pejorative for the sake of political posture points. No. Let's live out the gospel. We have a high priest who is so great. He has got the capacity to sympathize, empathize, care genuinely, and so must we. And we need to pay attention. So, the third thing. Speak Jesus. Speak Jesus. Know him, hear me now, know him and his story in your life so well that you can name drop him as your best friend and the hero that he really ought to be and is in your life. Jesus says in John 15, verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. You know, if Jesus calls you a friend, I think it's okay for us to think of him as our friend. Yes, he's Lord, the King of glory, the mighty God, who says, you're my friend. So know him so well. Know his story in your life so well that you can speak about him as the best friend and hero in your life that he really is. And so it is. This lady comes up to me later brings the bill, I lay down my debit card, she takes it, she goes, she runs it, she brings it back. Uh, I, uh, I fill out the paperwork, sign my name, all the stuff while she's clearing the table. Moments later, I'm getting up, I'm putting my jacket on, uh, throwing my scarf around my neck because alas, we live in Minnesota and it's cold as blazes, and if blazes can be cold. And I, I'm standing up and I'm grabbing my, my stuff, and she comes up to me in tears. She says, no one has ever asked me what they could to pray for me. I've never had that happen before in my life. I don't, I don't know how to, I don't, she was just, she was stammering. She just was completely stumped. Now, she had just a few seconds. The place is busy. She's a busy server at a busy restaurant here in our community. I had a second or two. What am I going to say? 
I looked at her and said, I need to tell you something. It's the most important thing you hear today. Jesus Christ loves you so very, very much. Don't you ever forget it. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And she looked at me in tears and said, thank you, and scurried away. And I buttoned my coat and left. Listen, nonchalant, no nonsense. This is like Monica and Friends breezy, okay? And very simply, it is this. You see it there in front of you. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. And maybe in that simple moment of spiritual conversation, not some coming at you hard with all the details of justification and atonement, but just simply the message, you are loved by the God of heaven and earth. Speaking Jesus. And you know what? Fun story. Several weeks later, I happened to be back in that same place. She wasn't my server that day, but she saw me. She recognized me. I Go figure. Runs across the restaurant, comes up to the table and says, I'm doing really well. And she's gone. <laughs> Praise God. Yes. Praise God. Listen to me. This is the big conversation we need to be having. Every one of us have a realm of influence, a sphere of influence. Every one of us. We need to engage our realm on behalf of the Lord of glory. Telling his story. Declaring his glory. So even one more will willingly sing out to him that he's worthy. So, Father, would you stand with me now, friends? So, Father, help us to be those people. Help us to have this kind of heart. Lord, we've got to figure this out. This is your word to us. Make a response. Be a witness. Give a testimony. Tell the story. Declare the glory. Give generously. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Let our faces beam with glad tidings. Let us speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. For there is peace in your presence, power in your name. May we speak the name of Jesus till our dying breath.